All right, we are going to be in Matthew chapter 4 this morning, so go ahead and turn to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 4. But we are going to begin in uh, 1 John chapter 2 is where I want you to turn. And this is the reason. So this morning's message is titled Temptation. We are dealing with the temptation of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, by the devil, by Satan. So we're going to press into that subject matter and that scene in the Gospel of Matthew. So when it comes to Matthew, Matthew is an apostle. He's a disciple. He is a learner of Jesus, called by Jesus. And as he has gone through this life experience, he is now giving us the biography of our Lord and Savior. First chapter, you really can just press into the idea of Matthew is giving us the, the fulfilled promises, how Jesus is fulfilling the promises of the Old Testament, that he is the promised one. In chapter 2, we watch God protect him from the enemies who want to seek to destroy him. Last couple of weeks, we've really pressed into preparation uh, through John the Baptist and then Jesus's baptism last week. So all of these ideas are playing into where we're pressing into his temptation this morning. And that major declaration by the Father to the Son as the Holy Spirit is coming upon Jesus at his baptism is, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. So that definition is going to play immediately into the attack of the devil again. Jesus as the Son of God this morning. So that's the major idea that we're going to press into. But as we talk about temptation, anybody know what it's like to be tempted? Tempted? Yeah? Tempted to do something that you ought not and you know that you ought not. We all deal with this every single day. We're not going to pick apart the all the different categories. We're going to keep our attention on Jesus this morning in every way as we always do. This chapter in chapter 4 of Matthew, it kind of follows this outline that we see in 1 John chapter 2, and that's why, we're he- why we are here. But 1 John 2, 15 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, wait a minute. John also says in the Gospel of John 3, 16, famous verse, For God so what? Loved what? The world. So is John contradicting himself? No. The object of God's love in the Gospel of John in that phrase, it's you and me. He so loved humanity that he gave as a gift in generosity his only begotten son, that whoever, anybody need life, anybody want forgiveness, anybody want power against temptation, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him, you will not perish. You will not die spiritually, but you will be granted his eternal life. That's the promise of God in his son. Amen? But here in this section, in 1 John, in this letter, the world, it's identified as not people, but it's identified as the philosophies and the lusts and the desires. And he goes on to define it. He says in verse 16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life 
is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. John does a lot of contrasting, and he's, he's uh, you know, if you say that you love the Lord, but you don't obey the Lord, you're a liar. I mean, he's that direct in our lives. So he's encouraging us that if you love God, then love him with all that you are. Keep your attention on him. In contrast to these major ideas, and this is kind of an outline that we're going to press into this morning, that there is in our own flesh, we have lusts, we have desires in our flesh. To desire something can be very healthy. I hope you desire God. We can desire good things. That's good. Same word is used in the Greek, and it depends on its context. If that desire is a good thing or if it's an evil thing, it's identified as a lust. But within our flesh, in our core, we want things, right? As you watch a little child grow and mature, they need to be instructed. We need to be instructed on what is good, what is bad. We have these natural desires of our flesh that as we process through life and we lift up our eyes, he talks about the lust of our eyes, those things that we see. That, so it's a combination of what's going on in our souls, in our hearts, in our minds, those things that we want. When we look and we see, it's, I want that. And then the pride of life is exalting ourselves over and against other people that I have a desire, I see what I want, and I'm going to take what I want, even if it hurts other people, because I am more important than you. And God says, all of that, it's of the world. All of that, that's the natural man, that's the natural woman, and that has nothing to do with God. If you love me, obey me in my instructions. And we are going to sit with Jesus and all of his instructions in, in regards to these ideas of temptation for quite a while. All right, turn just in left in your Bible to the book of Hebrews chapter 2. All this is just going to give us some framework so we don't have to flip around as we press into Matthew 4. But Hebrews chapter 2, I have this banner over Hebrews in my head that Jesus is better. You, Jesus is better than Moses. He's better than an angel. He's better than the high priest. Jesus is better than any prophet. Jesus is better than a pastor, than a church, than any other person. Jesus is better. Hebrews gives us all these definitions. Why? But in Hebrews 2 verse 14, it says, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus himself likewise, shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. So as we watch Jesus die for the sins of humanity on the cross and the testimony of his resurrection, what is it that Jesus did? He destroyed the power of the devil in our life, which is the subject matter that we're going to talk about this morning. And he released those who through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage, subject to slavery, the slavery of sin, lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful 
and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for sins. It's a fancy word for an atonement, a covering, a removal of our sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Jump to chapter 4. Verse 14 says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus has ascended to heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Singing about the removal of a hundred billion failures. All of our weaknesses, all of our misses. We have a great high priest who can sympathize with us, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. You feel like you're struggling in some kind of temptation in your mind, in your behaviors, in your language. Jesus was tempted just like we are in every way, but without sin. Let us therefore come boldly with confidence to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy, that God would not punish us for all of our stupidity and our failures and our misses. We receive that mercy from God and we find the grace of God to help in the time of need. When we face temptation in our life, we are going to say, I'm weak, I need strength, I need the word, I need the right way out. God, speak to me. We are coming boldly to God's throne of grace, asking for that gift of help in our time of need. You guys got all that? That'll keep us from, from flipping around. Now turn to Matthew chapter 4. And we're going to read through the first 11 verses here for the context. It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written... Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, It is written, Again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him on, a, on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. As we look at the major theme that Matthew is unveiling for us in regards to who Jesus is, the devil is coming against and standing in opposition to God the Father's declaration. 
The father's declaration from heaven, he said, this right here, Jesus, this is my beloved son. This is the one in whom I am well pleased. He is the fulfillment of prophecy. He has just been anointed with the Holy Spirit. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the anointed one. And you have the father's declaration who he is as the eternal son. And immediately the tempter steps in and questions his sonship. And the idea that in, in the, the devil's temptation to Christ, what he is bringing out is what kind of son are you? When you sit in the history of Israel, and that is what Matthew is unveiling for us as Jesus is fulfilling so much. When God delivers the nation of Israel out of the bondage of Egypt, he leads them to the edge of the Red Sea where we have this declaration from Moses. Stand still. Everybody quit freaking out. Stand still. Lift your eyes up and see the salvation. See the deliverance of God in your life. And this is the moment where the Red Sea parts and there's this figure of baptism that the entire nation of Israel passes through the Red Sea on dry ground. And then once they get to the other side, that water comes on top of the pursuing army, representative of the world, representative of the devil, representing sin. And then we have, here's God's major deliverance through the man Moses and his calling as a prophet. When they get to the other side of the Red Sea in Exodus 15, there's what's, the, it's the song of Moses. There's an incredible psalm song that Moses and the culture sings. And then God leads the nation of Israel into the wilderness. And we are told that God is intentionally bringing his kids into the wilderness, into a position of need to test them. What's in your heart? What's in your mind? What did you learn from Egypt that even though you were free from the slavery of Egypt, you've just brought out of Egypt with you? Do you know who I am as God? Do you see me? You have this pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. Here you have this representation of the Holy Spirit and God dwelling and meeting in the midst of the children of Israel. And through a variety of circumstances, the kids, the sons, the children of God, they are questioning, God, who are you? Where are you? Do you see me? Don't you care that I'm starving? Don't you care that I am thirsty? Did you bring us out here to kill us? Where are you, God? Leads the children of Israel to the foot of Mount Sinai there in Exodus 19. And you have God descending from heaven onto this mountain and this cloud. And, just, and he speaks audibly to the people. You have the writing of the Ten Commandments. All this incredible instruction and imagery. We watch the nation of Israel fail and fail and fail and fail. We watch God's mercy. We watch God's grace. And now we're watching Jesus fulfill all those commandments that God gave to the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. Not only is he the fulfillment of all of these promises, he is the true son of God who is living out all of these temptations as the devil is constantly in his life asking, 
What kind of child of God are you? What kind of son are you? That's the major emphasis of the temptation that Satan is bringing into Jesus's life. I told you before, as we, as we press further into the gospel, we'll start going subject matter by subject matter, especially in the Sermon on the Mount, chapters five, six, and seven, where we'll walk through different sins and how we can have victory in Jesus in the midst of that and have real practical application. But right now, as we watch Jesus's temptation, we're going to look at him and what we can learn from him. And I'm trusting that the Holy Spirit is going to apply these principles in your own life, in your own walk, in your own specifics. But this morning, we're going to keep all attention on Jesus because this is awesome. So in verse one, first thing is Jesus is led up by the Spirit. Here, there's very direct control. Jesus has been anointed by the Holy Spirit. There is very direct control and his obligation and obedience to the Holy Spirit in his his life, that the Holy Spirit is leading him out into the wilderness for the purpose of being tempted by the devil. We just sang a song of the Lord's Prayer, asking God, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus taught us to pray that and to ask for that every day. Does God lead you into the position where you are weak? And does he lead you into into a position where he gives the devil the opportunity and the authority to tempt you with sin? Yes or no? Yes. You are led into a variety of circumstances in your life where you begin to question. God, you have saved me from my sin. I have confessed my sin to you. You have washed me from my sin in the blood of your son and his sacrifice. You have removed my sin from me as far as the east is from the west. I love you with all of my heart, all of my mind, all of my soul, all of my strength, all that I am, Lord. I want to glorify you. Anybody want to amen that? Amen. But do you find yourself in those positions and the circumstances of life saying, God, where are you? God, I thought you promised to take care of me. I thought you promised to provide for me. I thought you promised to provide for my family. Wait a minute. I've confessed this sin already. I already turned this sin over for you. I'm no longer in bondage in this sin. Why do I still have the desire to do that? Anybody still have all these desires that you know that are off in your daily life? God brings us into these positions and is walking alongside of us and leading us into these circumstances in life, not so that we can fail, but so that he can prove who we are as children of God. And in all of this, we are looking to Jesus as our example. He is the fulfillment of God's law. And as as we are tempted, as we are led into temptation, God is not looking for our failure, and he is not looking for our destruction. He is not looking to wipe us off the face of this earth. He is looking to keep us and to wash us and to mature us and to sanctify us and to cause us to have great faith. Even though I don't understand why I'm here, I don't understand why I'm being tempted. I don't understand why this circumstance is going on in my life. God, I trust you because I know who you are. 
You have demonstrated yourself to be faithful me, faithful to me 10,000 times in the past. I know that you are going to be faithful now. I know that you see me. I know that you hear me. Father, let your will be done. But Father, I'm hearing the voice of the devil tempting me to hate this person, tempting me to steal, tempting me to lust, tempting me just to pursue my own wants, tempting me to save myself and save my own life rather than giving my life up for you and whatever you want to do with it. And this is the idea that we're watching. The Holy Spirit is intentionally leading Jesus into this wilderness to be tempted. And again, the imagery is that of the Old Testament as the children of God were led into the wilderness and they were being tested, not for their failure, but to work out of them what ought not to be there and to help form into them what ought to be there, which is the very image of God. We have Jesus fasting. We'll talk about fasting in multiple months ahead as we get into the Sermon on the Mount. This is an intentional. He has been led by the Holy Spirit to fast. And this is a preparation. This is a, a testing that is going on in his life, the specific 40 days and 40 nights see this multiple times in the Old Testament. One, it's an instant link to Moses. Moses was for 40 days and 40 nights on Mount Sinai with God as God pins with his own finger the Ten Commandments. He had that experience twice. This links him with Elijah. This links with the, the flood, the 40 days and 40 nights in judgment. All of this imagery is, being, is coming from the Old Testament and watching him fulfill it. But afterward... He's hungry. And this idea that he's hungry, he is, he is at the point of starvation. He is at the point where organs are beginning to shut down and fail. When it comes to fasting, again, this is, this is a way beyond the natural. Some people try and fast for 40 days and 40 nights. If the Lord leads you to do that, boy, do that with a tremendous about a, amount of wisdom and, and caution. Uh, because what is going on in Jesus' body, he's damaged his body over these 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus doesn't need his body for a long time. I want to live. Should the Lord tarry? I want to live to be a nice, ripe, old, wrinkly age in the Lord, right? Jesus only needs his body for a few years after this circumstance. But the point that's being brought out is in this 40 days, he's in the wilderness, it's dry. He, yes, he's been drinking water, but he's out in, the, the, out in nature and the weather, sleeping in caves, all this kind of stuff. He's hungry. And now this is a point where he is physically weak, but in that fasting, he ought to be at a spiritual pinnacle in his life because that's a major purpose of fasting is to tune in to the Lord as we ignore the demands of our flesh. And this is when the tempter comes to set up some traps. And he says, if, and the language really is, since you are the son of God, and here the tent, what kind of son are you? Since you are the son of God, here's some stones on the ground. You're hungry. You are the son, you are the eternal son of God. Cause that stone to be bread 
and satisfy your flesh. And Jesus' response is, it's written. Again, this is standard instruction teaching to man. The, the word of God says is the idea. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, here's the link to the Old Testament. Don't have time this morning, but I would highly encourage you, go read uh, from Deuteronomy chapter 6, 7, and 8. The three responses that we have from Jesus, this first one comes out of Deuteronomy 8. The, uh, the next two come out of Deuteronomy chapter 6. In Deuteronomy 5, you, it's, this, it's the retelling of the Exodus story. Uh, De- Deuteronomy 5, you have that, the the uh, recounting of the Ten Commandments. In chapter 6, you have what's known as the Shema. So for the Jews in regards to prayer, it's hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, Yahweh Elohim, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. These words that I, as Moses, through God, am commanding you today, these things need to be in your heart, written on your heart. When you wake up in the morning, talk to your children and your family about his word. When you go about the day, when you put your head on your pillow at night, let these words be constantly on you. May you bind them to your hand. May they be a frontlet between your eye is Deuteronomy chapter 6. All of this encouragement. And the encouragement is at the end of 40 years in the wilderness. 40 years in this desert experience. So when Jesus quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8, here in regards to uh, that we are not to live to find our life in the satisfaction of food alone, but we are to live on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of our God. All of this is linking back to the imagery of the Old Testament. This is what kind of son that Jesus is. The Holy Spirit has led him into the wilderness. The Lord, the Holy Spirit has led him to fast, to say no to food and to say yes to God for this period of time. The devil is coming to him and saying, disobey your father and make bread because you can and satisfy the hunger of your flesh because you were starving to death. Where is your God? What kind of son are you going to be? So the imagery in this is here Jesus is fulfilling perfect obedience to the Father as a son who is well-pleasing to the Father. Do you see that imagery? The language that he quotes, it's in direct language to the manna. And in Deuteronomy chapter 8, it gives this expression, God brought us out into the wilderness for the specific purpose of testing what's in your heart. He brought you to the position of hunger so that you would look to him to provide for your hunger. And he provided for your hunger in a miraculous way, manna. And manna in Hebrew means, what is it? What is this bread? And God gave very specific instructions for this manna. As you said in the Gospel of John, we are told that Jesus is the bread of life. He is the manna from heaven. He is the one, who's, he is the one who gives us life, is all of this imagery. But when Jesus said, the, the Father has brought me into the wilderness to test me, and I'm a faithful son, and I'm not going to disobey the Father. I'm going to trust the Father in this moment. So Satan, it is written. 
You are tempting me, to, tempting me to be a disobedient son. But it is written, I shall not live by bread alone that I need to survive, but I shall live through obedience to the Father. Now, that's an that's a Old Testament law conveyance. If you want life, then you have to do what the law tells you to do. And this is why Jesus is defined as life, because he was perfectly obedient, tempted in all things just as we are, but without sin. So as he is living a perfect life, a sinless life, he is imaging for us and fulfilling the righteous and just requirement of the Old Testament law. And our life is found in him. God, I find myself being a disobedient son in so many ways all the time, listening to the bait of Satan, biting into those lures, failing time and time again. I'm looking for your mercy. I'm looking for your grace. But Lord, I'm truly looking for the word, for your word to be in my mouth in the moment of temptation that comes my way every day. There's those, there's those ways that the enemy studies us that... He's got your number in the sense of he knows how to trip you in this particular thing over and over, and you fall for the same bait every time. Some of the bait that you fall for is, is a bait that nobody else in this room would fall for, and vice versa. You know, we're studied, we are watched, but we ought to have within us, here is what your word says, Lord. And I want to know who you are. I want to know where your victory is. I want to know what your instruction is. I want to know what your life and your glory is. So that, Lord, this is coming out of my mouth, what is written when I am being attacked. And again, the, the devil doesn't come to us just one time and leave, and he never bugs us again. But sometimes it's rapid fire like we see in this circumstance. So in verse 5, so Jesus passes that first test as a good son. Devil takes him into Jerusalem, the holy city. He brings him this pinnacle of the temple. This is uh, known to be uh, it's Solomon's uh, porch, Solomon's portico that was on the south side of the temple mount. And this is on the east side, which has been built up very high from the Kidron Valley that's down below. Josephus tells us when you got up onto this point and you look down, it's, it's so far down, it's hard to see the bottom. So he's at this pinnacle, at this height of the temple platform is where Satan has brought him. And one of the ideas too, how much of this is, how much of this is physical versus how much of this is like in a vision uh, spiritual, I don't know. So Jesus was in the wilderness. First temptation, clearly in the wilderness. Has he been brought physically um, and traveled into Jerusalem? And now here he is in Jerusalem and the devil shows up to talk to him again. Not exactly sure how all this plays out. But when he's there, he says, if you are the son of God, Throw yourself down. In other, in other words, throw away your life is the temptation. God has given to you this life in the flesh. Throw it away. Hold your place there and turn to Psalm 91. This is worth reading through. The devil knows the word of God better than you do. Let that sink in for a moment. They created being the devil and demons 
They are more intelligent than you. They are more powerful than you. They are older than you. They know the word of God better than you do. And they will, in your mind, through other people, through other religions, through cultural traditions, they will communicate to you twists and perversions of God's word. What Satan quotes to Jesus is the word of God, but the emphasis that he places on it, it's twisted and it's perverted, and I'll show you how as we read through this psalm. Psalm 91 says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In him I will trust. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler. And we can paraphrase that. Surely he will deliver you from the trap of the devil. This is what the tempter is doing, setting up traps in our life. And surely God will deliver us from those traps, from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. We talked about that image of the Holy Spirit and the dove last week. His truth shall be your shield and your buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night. Got anything that freaks you out at night when it's dark, the terrors of the night? You shall not be afraid of the arrow that flies by day. So whether you're afraid of somebody coming into your house and attacking you at night, or you're afraid some army coming before you and attacking you during the day, nor of the pestilence that walks in the darkness. Our whole culture for a few years in regards to COVID, there's this paranoia of this pestilence that you don't know where it is and where it's coming from and where it's going, but there's a fear in our culture of getting sick to any degree because it can have major consequences. No fear of the pestilence that walks in the darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. Some hurricane, a natural disaster that would lay waste to a community in the middle of the day. All of this, in faith and in trusting the Lord, there's no fear. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes you shall look and you shall see the reward of the wicked. Here's, here's what wickedness is paid with. Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the most high, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all of your ways. In their hands, they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he, is because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Incredible song 
of what it looks like to trust in your creator, yeah? And it's just, it's, it's, it's one of these things that just, it elevates our hearts. It gets our attention on the nature of character of God as we declare all of these I wills and the power of God in my life. He is the one who is going to protect me and save me and deliver me and be my salvation. I'm going to see his salvation. Everybody says, amen. Does your life look like this deliverance every day? Are there times when you feel like you're, you've kicked your foot really hard and stumbled against a stone and your toe is now broken and you're limping because of the circumstance and what's going on? So what Satan does, he takes this incredible declaration and he twists it. And the twisting is to, where's God? God's given you all of these incredible promises. He's promised to save you, to be with you, He's promised in the day of battle, the thousand wicked are going to fall at your left side, 10,000 wicked are going to fall at your your right side, but you're not going to be touched. You have nothing to fear. You don't need to fear the disease that's going to kill you. You don't need to fear the hurricane that's going to wipe out your community. You don't need, if you're living in Ukraine right now, you don't need to fear the Russian army that's coming in and doing all the evil that they're doing. You need no fear. Therefore, you're Superman, you're Superwoman. You can do whatever you want to do. Put God to the test. That's the twisting that Satan is giving to Jesus. Here you are in this high place. God has promised to keep you. God has promised to send an angel to catch you so that you will not be hurt. Throw your life away and God will protect you. You see, do you understand and see what Satan is trying to do and trying to test? And he does the same kind of whispering in our lives. Does God really love you? Did God really say, don't eat from the, tree, from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Looks pretty good, doesn't it? So it look like it's good to eat? Again, the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, God's withholding from you. Do whatever you want to do. Do what pleases you. God wants you to be happy, right? So do whatever your desires are. This is the temptation of Satan. And God's going to protect you. He's going to bless you. You are going to be healthy. You are going to be wealthy. You are going to be prosperous. It's all of this same message of the twisting of the Lord because God promises all of those things to us. And all of those things are found in Christ for sure. You can have chaos on the outside and absolute, full, great, faithful peace on the inside in the circumstance. And Jesus' response to those words of Satan, it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, coming out of Deuteronomy, when the Jews are saying, where's God? He delivered us. He's brought us out here. Why did he bring us out here? I've got no water. Where's the water, Moses? I've got no food. Where's the bread, Moses? I'm sick of the bread, Moses. Where's the meat, Moses? My children are starving. Did you bring us out here to die, God? These are all the words and the complaining that are going on in the tents and the culture of the nation of Israel as unfaithful children not trusting God that Jesus is imaging for us. Here's the faithful son. It is written... You shall not test your God. He is who he says he is. He has always been the same. 
He is the same today, and he will always be the same forever. You shall not put your God to the test. And again, in the narrative of Exodus, the culture puts God to the test 10 times. And at the end of those 10 times, God says, enough is enough. Turn away from the promised land that I am leading you to. The generation that is 20 years old and older will not be allowed to go into the promised land except Caleb and except Joshua. You will all die in this wilderness. What you are afraid of is going to come upon you, and I will safely deliver your children and safely bring your children into the promised land because you did not believe me. That's the consequence of unbelief is these cycles of wandering in the wilderness. How do we get out of the wilderness? All attention and faith on our incredible God, Jesus Christ. He removes us out of that wilderness, places us on that solid ground in him as we follow him day by day. Devil again took him up onto an exceedingly high mountain. We don't know what mountain this is. We don't know if it's a mountain in Jerusalem. You know, is this, on, is this the Mount of Olives? Did he go to the north, Mount Hermon? There's a whole bunch of different mountains that he could have gone to. But the major idea is that in some way, Satan is presenting to Jesus, look at all the kingdoms of the world. They're mine. Satan is saying to Jesus, I am the ruler of this world. And there's, this is super weird. God gave, when God created Adam and Eve, man, male and female, he gave to them the dominion over God's earth, over his creation. In sin and in disobedience, there was a breaking of that covenant with God. And however, uh, Satan is now this ruler and this authority. So repetitiously, Satan is called the God of this age, the God of this world, the ruler of this world, the king of these kingdoms of this world. And we see his authority and power, especially in history. So... Satan's temptation to Jesus is, see all of this? This is all mine. And if you, son of God, will bow down and honor me as your king, I'll give them all to you. And this is, this is the temptation. The temptation is the shortcut. Because the shortcut is is it has already been proclaimed that all of the kingdoms of the world are going to be destroyed by Jesus' kingdom and his kingship and come under his authority in the end days. So Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar's dream, there is a stone that is going to be carved out without hands and it's going to strike this statue on its feet and all this imagery. It's his kingdom that is coming, is going to rule and reign over all the kingdoms of the earth. Jesus, as the Son of God, as the promised Messiah, the kingdoms are already promised to him. But he has a hard road to travel. And the road that Jesus has to travel in his flesh is a road of suffering. It is a road of rejection. 
It is a road of mockery. It is a road that leads him to the cross. It's a road that leads him to the garden of Gethsemane that he is praying to the father. Father, if there is any other way, take the cross, take this cup from me. But not my will be done. Your will be done. We are told that Jesus learns obedience in his humanity through suffering in his life. And the temptation that Satan is coming to Jesus in this moment is he's saying, take the shortcut. Take the easy road. You don't have to suffer for the will of your father. Let me be your king and I'll give it all to you free. All you have to do is bow down and worship me as your king. And what does Jesus say? I love this. Back off, Satan. That's the word. Away with you, Satan. Get away, adversary. Get away, slanderer. Get away from me with all of these traps. Because it is very clear in the word of God. You shall worship. You shall serve your God your only God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the God who chose Abraham out of his idolatry and made himself known to Abraham, instructed Abraham in his righteousness and justice, gave Abraham all of these prophecies, prophecies and promises that as we are witnessing Jesus in his humanity, he is imaging for us, this is what a child of God looks like. This is how a child of God responds to the trap, to the temptation that comes into all of our lives at different moments. In Jesus's victory in this moment, again, he is physically dying. He is emotionally weak. He has just been spiritually tempted by the devil and tested by his father. And he has been in perfect obedience in the midst of this suffering in the moment. And we are told that in this victory that the devil departs from him and God sends those angels, those angels that we read about in Psalm 91, that are there to minister to him, to keep him from, you know, uh, from being hurt here in whatever, whatever fashion, the angels from God have been sent to minister to Jesus, to give him strength, that they come with food. They came in to minister to him. So if Jesus would have taken the shortcut before and made the stone into bread and satisfied his flesh, he would have been disobedient to the will of God. But here God is providing for his need exactly when he needs to be provided for. Luke gives us a little bit extra flavor in uh, when the devil departs from Jesus, he says until an opportune time. Because the Satan doesn't just leave us and you know, it's a, the Bible gives us this, this instruction that we are to resist the devil. If you resist the devil in your life through God's word, through obedience to God in his strength and his power, the devil is going to flee from you. He has no authority over you. But in this idea that uh, he is departing for an opportune time, you are watched, you are studied, you are known. 
The enemy of your soul knows you, knows the bait that you fall for, and you stand in strength and in the Lord today, and he waits for that next opportune time, for that moment when maybe you're weak in the flesh, maybe you're weak spiritually, and comes in with that same bait again. Maybe they'll fall for it this time. Uh, Alistair Begg, this is, this is a great quote. Worship team coming up. I heard uh, Alistair Begg. I can't remember the verse. It's, it's a, the idea is there being an evil day. I don't remember where it is in the Bible, but he defined an evil day as in temptation when the desire to sin, the opportunity to sin, and what's the third leg? Luke, what's the third one? Opportunity, desire, temptation. Devil's tempting me to sin. I have the opportunity to sin and the devil is tempting me to do it. That's the definition of an evil day because I can be tempted to sin and I can have the opportunity to sin, but if I don't want to in my heart, if I don't have that desire in my heart, I'm not gonna step out in that disobedience. Great declaration. Great little handle too. Lord, deliver us from the evil day. Deliver us from the evil one. Do not lead us into temptation. This is the final thought that I want to leave us with as we press into communion and just responding to God in worship. And it comes out of John chapter 14, incredible section. This is the night before Jesus is arrested and a very multiple chapters in Jesus's final words to his disciples. But there comes, uh, Jesus is expressing this idea that the ruler of this world is coming. Satan's coming. Satan is going to come and be there and be the motivator behind his arrest and behind his, uh, behind his chastisement and the brutal beating and his crucifixion. Satan is behind all of that. Jesus says, the ruler of this world is coming. But then he says, he has nothing in me. And the idea is that Satan has no claim on me. And it's such a powerful testimony. Through faith in Jesus Christ, Satan does not own you. He does not control you. Within you, there is no beachhead of Satan being able to say, this chunk of property and this person's soul is mine. Through faith in Jesus Christ, you are free from that being's possession. He does not have a claim in you or on you. You are free in Jesus Christ. And this is why we celebrate and praise. Yet, he'll tempt you. He'll lie to you to make you think that you are, that there are these beachheads of his power in, in your life. And again, we have this freedom and this command in Christ that those thoughts that are coming from the enemy, that may be coming from your flesh, those things that are coming from this world where you are being led away from your Savior, the one whom you love, you're to take those thoughts captive and to go and have a conversation with Jesus in prayer, in worship, in his word. Lord, your word tells me that herein is my life. My life is in you. My life is in your word. My life is in your spirit. Come rushing into this moment, Lord, right now where there may be darkness. Flood this place with your light. Flood this place with your victory. Flood this place with your hope. May every single soul, Lord, know that we stand in the power of your might 
And that, yes, the devil comes in to tempt us, to try and trap us. But in you, Lord, we find victory. In you, we find hope. There is nothing in this world that we need to fear. Therefore, in you, I will trust. You will be my dwelling place. You will be my sanctuary. You will be my salvation. And you, I will worship at all times. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.